You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Expert media trainer Jim Cameron goes on the record online. Often a print reporter can lull you in a sense of, a, of, a, of comfort at doing just a chat or a conversation that you'll look up and you'll realize, I've been, I've been talking to this guy for an hour. How many thousands of words did you lay out in the course of the hour? That's for you to control. I think you should go into an interview, whether it's print or broadcast, and say, Eric, great to be on your program. Looking forward to chatting with you about media training. Uh, I do apologize. You know, I have a, a call I got to take in about 10 minutes. It's not how much time the reporter wants, because the longer you talk, the more you're going to lay out on the smorgasbord for me to choose from. It's how much time do you need to deliver the two or three messages that you wanted to get across. And thank you for listening to another episode of On the Record Online, uh, the podcast that brings you the story behind the story. And today, very much so. Uh, We have an interview with uh, Jim Cameron of Cameron Communications. He's a media trainer. And what that means is if you are getting ready to talk to the press or testify before Congress, no shit, testify before Congress, or uh, brief analysts on a new stock offering or take your company public, this is the guy who you sit down with and he tells you how to present how to do so in a way that uh, is most effective to your benefit. We think about often talking to the media as talking to the media, but the truth is you're never really talking to the media. You're basically talking through the media. You're talking through them as a channel to their audience. And if you think about it that way, it really changes the way you approach the interviewing game. And there are you know, a number of very seasoned, skilled media trainers out there. Jim is one of them, who uh, is a specialist. He comes in and he helps you put your best face forward, uh, either on, on broadcast or in print or on radio. And so this is a special interview being recorded at the uh, Media Relations 2006 conference in New York, and this is the Executive's Guide to Media Training. So if you want uh, to get more information on how to interview, what the best practices are, uh, traps that journalists can play to trick you and maybe make you look not so good, this is a good podcast for you to listen to to get familiar with what media training is all about. Um, if you are streaming this episode and you would like to subscribe and, to the podcast, uh, you should know that it doesn't cost money to subscribe. It's free. Uh, you can do that by going to www.ontherecordpodcast.com. When you get there, you'll see a series of badges that will allow you to subscribe to the show either through iTunes or through Yahoo Podcasts or through Podcast Alley or other popular podcast aggregators. Uh, If you don't understand what an aggregator is or a podcast is or any of that stuff, there's even a tutorial there that says need help. And you click on that and it'll explain to you how you can subscribe. Basically what that means once you subscribe is that anytime there's a new show, you'll get it automatically. It'll be automatically downloaded to you and you'll be a regular, regular listener of the show. And of course, if you want to, you can unsubscribe. If I, you know, get a bad guest on and, and you think I'm no longer worth listening to, that's your prerogative. 
But keep in mind that if you do that, you might miss out on a really good guess that I get after that. So the best thing really you could do is like if you get a really lousy show, just delete it and then, you know, wait for the next one. Maybe it'll be better. Uh, so now we are going to play for you the Executive's Guide to Media Training. Uh, it comes, as always, entirely unedited after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from my press room. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom, tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. Jim Cameron of Cameron Communications is a professional communications consultant and transit advocate. He spent over 30 years in broadcast journalism. Uh, when he was at NBC News, he received the George Foster Peabody Award. In conjunction with Inc. Magazine, he also wrote and hosted the syndicated radio series, Minding Your Business. Uh, for 12 years, Jim ran JForum, which was um, a pioneering online service for journalists and communication professionals on CompuServe. His media training clients include uh, CEOs, scientists, and authors. Uh, his trainees have appeared on 60 Minutes, 2020, The Today Show, CNN, CNBC, and uh, hundreds of radio stations. And they've been quoted in the pages of the Wall Street Journal, trade journals, and lifestyle magazines. Uh, his clients have testified before Converse, Congress, made presentations to financial analysts, and given speeches at major uh, symposia. I am pleased to have him with me on this podcast. It's great to be here. So I was hoping uh, we could take this from 40,000 square feet looking down. Okay. Because a number of people who listen to the show may not even know media training exists. So tell us first, what is media training? Well, you know, I got into media training having been a reporter, as, as you mentioned. I worked uh, on air. I did interviews like you're doing here. And one of the things I discovered in my journalism days was that some people were better guests than others. And the ones who were better guests were usually ones who were finishing a road tour, who had done a lot of interviews. And I thought, well, you know, somewhere along the line, they discovered that doing a, a half-hour talk show is different than doing a two-minute phone interview is different than doing 30-second soundbite on the evening news. So I went to my PR colleagues and said, do you ever, you know, when you send somebody out on the road to promote a product or a book or a cause, do you train them how to do interviews? And they said, do you mean media training? I said, what's media training? And they said, just that. So for 24 years, I've been doing media training. And there are different approaches to media training. There are some who treat it as charm school, that it's, it's all about wearing the right color tie, making vertical hand gestures, and smiling when you're on TV. That's not me. I'm much more focused on teaching people how to get their messages across in an interview regardless of the questions that are asked by the reporter. To get them out of deposition mode, uh, people feel that an interview is an interrogation or it's a debate or the most insidious is the one that doesn't even feel like an interview, it's just a conversation. So I teach them instead to think of an interview more like a presentation where it is Q&A, but they're gonna get their messages across regardless of the questions they're asked. So it's teaching that technique and then fine-tuning it to a print interview, a radio talk show interview, a television interview. So how do, how do you do that? 
How do you go back to the message without sounding like a broken record? Well, first of all, you have to have a message. And I think a lot of people come into interviews and they don't have a message. They've been invited to come on a program, but they don't know why they're there. I mean, obviously, they're there to talk about their company, but they're in reactive mode. So they're kind of waiting for the right question to get to their message. Uh, I say you got to be more proactive. So first of all, you have to develop a message. You have to know the points that you want to get across to make your product or your, your, your company relevant to the audience. So you've got to know the audience geographically, demographically, and psychographically, and tell them why they should care about your products. Uh, you've got to make your message believable and robust. You have to overcome the journalist's cynicism and skepticism. I mean, that's why we believe what a reporter has written, perhaps more than a blogger, because the reporter has said, where's the beef? Where's the proof? So a message needs proof points, examples, anecdotes, third-party endorsements. So once you've got a message, then the, the technique, the trick, if there is one in media training, is to not be like a politician who's asked about A and suddenly makes a speech about Z. You know, Mr. Bush, when are we getting out of Iraq? And he'll start talking about, you know, the elections last week in Romania. Uh, we, we let politicians not answer questions. Uh, but business people can't get away with that. If you don't answer the question, I'm going to ask it again. So what I suggest is answer the question or at least address it and then build a transitional bridge of words to your message. So you see questions not as obligations but as opportunities to come back to what you want to talk about. Uh, if you're doing it effectively, you're also then leading the conversation. You're suggesting what the next question the reporter should ask is. Uh, you're, for example, right now, your, your audience doesn't know it, but you're looking at a list of some prepared questions, and you're working your way down the list. I'm subtly trying to maneuver you to talk about what I want to talk about. I don't know what your questions are, but I think reporters, as they're listening, are following the conversation as well, too. And but, what, would, what would you like me to, to ask you? I mean, no, I'm where, to, No, no, because I, I, it's interesting to me. I mean, what, what direction would you like to be led? Uh, you, you don't need to lead me. I'll, I'm sure I'll lead the conversation wherever we want to go. But I'm, I'm happy to answer any questions you have. So, tell so me, let me tell you what media training is not, okay? okay? Media training is not spin control. It's not teaching you how to lie. It's not about, you know, how you smile or the color of your tie. It's about, what it is about is being honest, being accurate, being relevant to the audience, but coming back to those messages. Repetition of your key point is important. I mean, your audience right now, as you've told me, is multitasking. They're driving, they're eating, they're working, they're checking their email. So, you know, if I'm doing my job, I'm going to get my key messages in a few times over the course of this interview. Because it's not like, you know, we sit at home and, and zap through the television catching bits and pieces of a, of a program. And what are your key messages that you want to get across in this interview? My key messages are that media training is an effective staff development tool at various levels in an organization. And not just for the PR staff, who probably has this skill of how to deal with reporters, but also higher up into the organization to C-level executives. Because, as anybody that deals with the media has found, Reporters are no longer happy just talking to the PR flack. 
They don't want the spokesperson. They want to talk as high in the organization as they can to the people that are making the decisions. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean that your CEO is necessarily your best spokesperson. IBM discovered early on that when they were launching a new product, they wouldn't take the staff, the engineering, and the marketing people that had worked on the product and send them out to promote the product. They would take somebody else within the organization and train them just on the specs, the functionality that they wanted the general public to know. So yeah, the person was from IBM, but he wasn't involved. He didn't know or have to apologize for all the bugs and the delays. And he knew just enough about the messaging to be credible, but uh, didn't have to get too deep down in the weeds. So I think as you look at your external relations, both talking to the media and all the faces that your organization has to the outside world, whether they're talking to the media or doing speeches or going to conferences, there needs to be a consistency of the messages that you're relaying about your product and your company. If you have employees that are blogging, you need to keep an eye on what they're saying because they're as much a spokesperson for your company as your CEO is. And I know in the old days of listservs, you know, I used to go in when I'd do some work at Hewlett Packard, for example. Uh, I'd go in and just do a search for at hp.com in various listservs, and I'd find all kinds of people in the organization who were posting answers to questions from disgruntled customers. And sure, sure. They're speaking for the company as much as the PR staff is. But, but given the fact now that there's blogs and technology yeah. and it's so easy to get the word out, sure. how do you possibly media train and control all these people that are potential spokespeople for your organization if you're a multinational conglomerate? Well, I think, first of all, you, you import to them, you, you let them know the importance of, of the fact that they are speaking for the company, whoever they are, wherever they are, and that there needs to be a consistency of message. As I said, the biggest challenge often before going into an interview is, is deciding what's my message. And I think good companies should know and communicate to their employees internally and to their stakeholders externally consistent messages. Um, so if you're Microsoft and Vista is late, uh, what's the answer? And, and I don't mean to over-program them so they sound like Al Gore delivering a robotic speech, but I mean to make sure that whether I'm in tech support and I'm calling a call center in Bangalore or I'm talking to a Microsoft rep uh, in, in their store in San Francisco and I say, why is Vista late? I'm going to get a consistent answer to that. Is there, what is the practical solution for informing the organization about messages like that? Well, we have intranets. We have uh, ways of, of letting employees internally see what those messages are. You can also lead by example so that when you have a senior executive and they're out there on a CNBC power lunch, for example, you know, take that clip, put it on the internal website, let employees see what the big cheese is saying out there in the outside world. So let's say we've got our messages in order. Yep. And we need to train our executive staff to be ready to handle analysts and media and we call you in to come in and prepare the CEO or the executive vice president or whoever it may be that's going to be interviewed um, to either give an analyst presentation or to testify in Congress or to right. make some important presentation and to respond to questions. How do you prepare that person for the interview? Well, the first thing I do before I ever show up at the, at the client site is I do my own research. 
being a reporter, I know how to go out there and dig around and find out what issues are extant, could come up in the course of an interview or a shareholder meeting. And I think that diligence is very important. There are trainers who do a kind of a cookie-cutter approach, you know, one-size-fits-all. Now, every client is different. Uh, the techniques I train are similar, but I think you need to do the research. I'll give you an example. Uh, one of my clients uh, was Phelps Dodge Copper. They were in the middle of a strike at their mine in Arizona. 60 Minutes was going to do an interview with them. They were the poster children of, do unions have strength anymore? I found out, well, everybody knew that they, copper miners in Arizona made more money than school teachers. So when these guys were kicked out of their jobs, there was a, a line of people immediately that wanted to fill those jobs. They couldn't offer these employees the nickel an hour wage increase they wanted because copper prices from Chile were so low. What I did not hear from the company, and I found out under my own research, was that not only were the strikers not being given their jobs, but they were being kicked out of company-owned housing, they were being denied credit at the company-owned store, and they were being denied medical care at the company hospital, which was the only hospital in 3,300 miles. So being prepared with that, I was able to ask the CEO, you know, doing a Mike Wallace impersonation and role play, which is part of media training, who named you God? I mean, who gave you the right to deny somebody not only a job, but food in their mouths and medical care for their families. And he did one of these, you know, hand over the lens things, stop, stop, stop. He said, are, are they going to ask me that question? I said, I, th I think it'll come up. He said, but none of my people have said that that's an issue. I don't know, maybe it's just me. So I think being an external resource for companies is important to do the diligence that a really good reporter will do to prepare and come in and, 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 and tell the emperor that he has no clothes. Part of what makes PR lose credibility is that we're all yes men. You know, we're all out there to glad hand it and smile, and that's not effective communications. I mean, there are reasons that they couldn't give these employees uh, a wage increase. There were reasons that they couldn't let the strikers remain in those homes. But let's be honest about what we're doing and explain it to our audience. So I prepare, I do research, and then I come in and I teach techniques, the, the bridging technique that we talked about, how to get from just answering the message to build that transition of, of words back to your key message. Having been a reporter, I also some of the, show some of the tricks and techniques that reporters use to try to get you to say things you really didn't mean to say. Word implant, you know, false premise questions. Uh, you know, not that every reporter out there is evil and is out to, uh, you know, use all these techniques, but they're out to get a good story, and I think it could be a win-win. They can get a good story, and it can also convey your message. Uh, so there's the theory portion. We show video examples of people doing things right and wrong. We show print clips as well, too. And then there's role-playing, and I think that's the most important part. That's where people put into action the techniques that we've talked about. Show them how to control an interview. Ask them the tough questions. Tell us a little bit about some of these tricks that you're referring to that reporters play to get people to potentially say things that will help them tell the story they want to tell it. How can you recognize them? What are they? What are the most common ones? Well, there's a... Um, often people I work with say, you know, I've done interviews before and I was misquoted. And I said, well, well, how did that happen? Well, they had me saying things that I didn't say. 
I said, well, did they ask you a question like this? So, Eric, would you say that, that the future of communications is in podcasts? And you said, yes. Well, that's in effect allowing me to take my question and turn it into a quotation attributed to you. So watch out when reporters are saying, would you say that? Don't just agree with it, yes or no. Say it yourself. Avoid the temptation of repeating their vocabulary, especially if it's negative. So if I said, you know, so, you know, you work in public relations. You're basically a paid liar, an apologist for the sins of your organization. And the only reason you have a job is you're exploiting the ignorance of the corporate structure. The wrong way to answer that is to say, I'm not a paid apologist. I'm not a spin control artist. I'm not repeating all those negatives. It's like Richard Nixon. I'm I'm not a crook. Uh, Well, there's a million things you're not. Why are you repeating what you're not? Tell me what you are. No, Jim, that's not my job. In public relations, I'm a communications professional. My job is to get my companies and products messages out in front of various constituencies. Let me give you an example. What it really comes down to is not being reactive to the question, but listening to the question and seeing where the opportunity lies within a question to come back to the points you want to get across. What are the differences between interviewing with a print journalist versus a broadcast journalist? Big differences. And I think that most people, when I poll them, are most frightened of uh, television interviews, less apprehensive of radio, and looking forward to print. And I think that's exactly out of phase. That's wrong. I think the television doesn't matter. I'm a bit of an iconoclast as a media trainer. My domain name is .tv, so you know, I am there in the television business. But television has reach. It has no stickiness. When I can Google a television clip the same way I can Google a news article, I'll worry more about television. Television reporters are also not as smart. They don't have as much time or expertise in an issue as print reporters do. Now, print reporters are in journalism. I mean, this is the, this is the plankton level of journalism. If you look at anything that's on Dateline, 2020, 60 Minutes, uh, MSNBC, etc., they didn't come up with those stories. They were print stories that got repackaged for television. Print reporters may not be cute, they may not have radio voices, but they have the luxuries of more time to develop a story, and they usually have a greater depth of expertise. So I think it's more challenging to control a print interview situation than it is a broadcast because of the longevity factor. I'm often asked, you know, how long should an interview be? You know, if you're on three minutes on CNBC, it's three minutes. But, you know, we've been going now for 15, 20 minutes. And often a print reporter can lull you in the sense of, a, of, a, of comfort at doing just a chat or a conversation that you'll look up and you'll realize, I've been, I've been talking to this guy for an hour. How many thousands of words did you lay out in the course of the hour? That's for you to control. I think you should go into an interview, whether it's print or broadcast, and say, Eric, great to be on your program. Looking forward to chatting with you about media training. Uh, I do apologize. You know, I have a, a call i got to take in about 10 minutes. It's not how much time the reporter wants, because the longer you talk, the more you're going to lay out on the smorgasbord for me to choose from. It's how much time do you need to deliver the two or three messages that you wanted to get across. And five or ten minutes is usually enough. But again, C-level executives love to talk. 
And reporters know how to stroke their egos and keep them blabbing away. So another important takeaway is that public relations professionals need to be in on those interviews. They need to be there as an eyewitness or an ear witness to the interview, not to be the bodyguard and kick the CEO under the table, not to say, uh, not to answer questions for them, but to let the reporter know that there was a witness to what was said, so it's not just one person's word against another, and to maintain those ground rules. We're here to talk about X, not Y and Z, and we only have about 10 or 15 minutes. Now, people say we live in a soundbite world. What is a soundbite, and why, why are they important? A soundbite, whether it's a, a print quotation or literally an audio or video soundbite, is an effective packaging of your message in the simplest, most relatable, memorable, quotable terms. And it needs to be something other than your marketing jargon. Uh, when I work with Citibank, their soundbite is not, you know, it's not banking, it's Citibanking. I mean, that's their marketing slogan. You know, at Citibank, we live richly. Well, when a reporter hears marketing speak being tossed at them as answers to a question, <clears throat> they shut down. Go buy an ad. You know, put that stuff over there. But you need to get your brand in as part of your message. So you don't just say, you know, our program has got 100,000 uh, downloads every day. You know, you say, iPressroom has podcasts that are enjoyed by 100,000 listeners every day. You get your brand in there, you say something positive, you make it relatable to the audience. Why is it that uh, we're forced to talk in sound bites? And because our attention span is so short. Because part of the editing process that occurs in the newsroom, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, it's okay. I mean, the editing process, we're the MTV generation. You're the MTV generation. I'm a little, little older. But our attention span has been winnowed down so that we just don't have the patience to listen to a thoughtful answer for more than 30 or 40 seconds. Um, I, I analogize a reporter to a hungry man or woman. And you can satisfy that hunger by giving them an entire turkey or a plate of chicken McNuggets. They will go for the easily edited sound bite every time. The harder you make me, as a reporter, have to carve up your message or regurgitate it, the less likely it is to be used. The more you can package your message in quotable quotes. Some trainers call them sparklers. I mean, you can read the newspaper and you can see the kind of quotations that are attractive to a reporter. Uh, and there's a few different varieties that we talk about. That increases the likelihood that they will be ending up as part of the story. I wish we had more time for reasoned discourse. So what do you do when it comes out wrong? What do you do when you're being interviewed and you say something and you're halfway through the sentence and you realize, I, I don't like what I said? What do you do? Well, I think, first of all, you give yourself permission to stop and think of an answer to a question before you start diving into the answer. Uh, this is especially true of young people. Uh, again, they live in such a fast-paced environment. Now, I'm not that old, okay? I mean, your audience doesn't know how old I am. I'm 55. Uh, but I know a lot of young people, when you ask them a question, they feel they have to start answering it immediately, otherwise they're going to look stupid. And their co-processor is listening to them answering the question as they're going along, and they suddenly realize, I'm going in the wrong direction, I might as well back up and start again. 
I like people who are comfortable with a pause, a thoughtful reflection, and you know, engaged brain before opening mouth. So if you're asked a question, even on live TV, a pause like that doesn't look deceptive. It looks like you're filtering. You're helping that audience by cutting to the chase, deciding what it is you want to say, having a destination before you get in the car and start driving out the driveway. Now that we have access to um, uh, cable news, cable programming like C-SPAN, yeah. we have the opportunity to actually watch press conferences. Right. And you can tune in on press conferences inside the Beltway yeah. in Washington, D.C., and really see uh, the press secretaries from the various uh, uh, from from the Department of State and from the Pentagon and from the White House and and hear them field questions from reporters, and it's often a little frustrating to watch because they keep going back to the same message and they really sound like a broken record. And I wonder, you know, if you've if you're if you're talking to a journalist and they keep asking you these different questions. And you've, you've got these three messages. You want to come back to these three messages. You keep bridging back. You follow the instructions. How do you do that without trying to seem as though you've got something to hide? Well, I don't envy Scott McClellan's job as White House spokesperson. Uh, you know, I believe in open, honest discourse. And I think, unfortunately, he is sometimes tasked with being an apologist for the administration. And his, you know, his job is to not answer questions. So he's in a separate category. I also don't think Donald Rumsfeld is necessarily the best example uh, because he has a very adversarial approach to the Pentagon press corps. But he does, Rumsfeld does one thing well. If you've asked the question as a reporter and Rumsfeld has answered it, he's answered it for the group as a whole. If someone else asks the question again, he's going to say, asked and answered, next question. So he's not going to let them pummel him down. If you've answered the question and it's asked again, you shouldn't have a different answer the second time. If the answer is different the second time, reporters are going to ask it a third and a fourth time. So I think you need to be responsive to the question, deliver your message, and then move on and not let reporters pummel you into submission. So what would you say, I mean, do you have a, a list of, of the most important things to keep in mind when you're when you're going into an interview. I mean, I, I worry that um, that uh, you know you'd get in there and you'd train the chief executive and you'd give him so much. There'd be so much going on in their head when they yeah. got into that interview that the spontaneity and uh, the authenticity and and the charm of their personality might be hijacked. Well, you've raised uh, you've raised a couple of good points. Uh, one, I don't want to, I mean, media training is not about changing people. It's about focusing them. I'm not there to, to, to give charm to a CEO who has none or take it away from one who does. I think what's important is to have one or two, at most three, key messages that you want to get across throughout the course of the interview so that they know why they're there. And it's not just to answer the questions the reporter asked. It's to be responsive to those questions and lead the conversation to the topics that they want to get across. And I don't overburden them with a lot of, of key messages. I think two or three is enough. Thinking of the proof points and the examples that support those messages, make them credible, make them believable, make the reporter feel that there's some news value to what it is they're saying. 
So it can be a win-win situation. The reporter can get a story, and it can be the story that you really wanted to get across. But I would imagine the setup for that interview is critical because, I mean, if they're set up to deliver against false expectations, there's no way they're going to be able to message back to their points. Well, yes, and that's part of the, you know, the ground rules that need to be set before the interview, you know. The, if you're the PR guy and I'm a reporter calling up, you know, you want to ask me, where are you from? What publication are you from? What kind of a story are you doing? Is it a 50-word blurb? Is it a 5,000-word opus? Uh, you know, what's the focus of your story? Is it about failed new product launches in uh, telecom? Uh, well, maybe we don't want to be involved with that story. And that's one of your rights. I call it one of the Miranda rights of journalism, the right to remain silent, to not be involved with a story like that. But if you agree that you're willing to come on the program or talk to the reporter about a particular topic, get them to stick to that. So that if we've come to talk about podcasts as... Uh, you know, the communications vehicle of the future, something we could probably spend a fair amount of time talking about. That doesn't mean we have to divert into talking about blogging or the death of network television. We're here to talk about podcasts, positive messages about what we want to discuss, not trashing the competition. Microsoft doesn't sell Windows operating systems by saying that Apple's software sucks. They extol the virtues whatever they may be, of Windows. You know, you see these uh, policymakers go on to Tim Russert's Meet the Press uh, on Sunday mornings on NBC, and you know, that's got to be one of the toughest shows to go on because it's almost like there's a game going on. On one side of the, of the table is the policymaker trying to stay on message, and on the other side of the table is Tim Russert trying to get them off message, trying to derail them. I mean, what goes into, I have like this image in my head of, of the, the policymaker in the green room with their entire staff yeah. beating them up, getting them ready. I mean, I, I can't imagine anybody could walk into a situation like that and be successful without extensive training. Well, I mean, it happened long before the green room. Uh, I mean, if, if, if you're going to be a guest on Meet the Press, you're prepping days in advance. You're working with your team, not only on what your messages are, but also anticipating the tough questions that are going to come up. You know, if Bill Gates is out on a panel talking about Microsoft and its new video software, and he knows there's going to be a question about why Vista is late, and he should have an answer for that as well, too. Tim Russert is a great example, because I think he is one of the handful of reporters that are the most difficult to spin or manipulate, because he's listening to what you're saying. And you may be making a nice little speech, but if you're not answering his question, he will ask it again. There was a journalist in Great Britain, I apologize for not knowing his name, but he just won a journalism award for asking a government minister the same question 23 times. He asked it the first time, the guy gave a little speech. Pardon me, Mr. Minister, you didn't answer the question. I'll ask it again. And he tried it again, 23 times before he finally answered the question. Well, you know, you could eat up an entire program on Meet the Press doing that. But I think that's why, you know, media training is not teaching you how to avoid answering questions. You have to be responsive to certain questions, although there are a few you don't have to answer, and I can explain that. But having answered that question, you need to get on to the message that you want to be discussing. You need to lead the conversation. Let me give you some examples of questions reporters know you don't have to answer, but they still got to try. Uh, proprietary questions. 
You know, what's the next product coming down the pipeline? Well, you don't have to answer that. Um, client confidential information. Could you give us the names and addresses of your three biggest clients? Privacy information. Customers. Employees. You know, could you put us in touch with, uh, you know, three women that did not get promoted last year within your organization from doing a story on glass ceilings? Personal questions. Because you're not doing an interview as a person. You're always doing an interview as a representative of your corporation. Anything that's under litigation, you shouldn't be answering. And reporters know you're not going to answer that as well, too. Anything that's not in your area of responsibility or expertise. So you don't ask the person from Merck who's responsible for asthma drugs about Vioxx. Not my department. Let me put you in touch with Charlie who does that. So the way to answer those questions is just to explain why you're not going to answer them. Jim, as you would understand, we don't announce new products until they're ready to be announced. You'll be the first person we contact when we're ready to announce a new product. But what I can tell you is our existing line of widgets are the best sellers in America. Block and bridge. And the bridge is, but what I can tell you, and I can tell people who have been media trained because you'll hear them using that phrase or similar phrases, getting back on message. But you've got to be comfortable at knowing the reporter's only doing their job, asking the tough question in the hopes that you might be dumb enough to answer it, but still get back on what you want to get across as a message. Thank you very much for this media training session. I've, I, I feel like I've gotten a lot out of it. So I, I have hope... to give my website address, though. Oh, I, wouldn't, please, I would be please remiss do. if please I didn't do. Go ahead. get you, some sort of plug yeah, in there. No, go ahead. www.mediatrainer.tv. And uh, if your listeners go to the site, send me an email, I'll be glad to send them one of my little media training tips cards as well, too. Great. Thanks again. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.